0: Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and Shalom.
1: Welcome to B'nai Shalom.TV. My name is Ephraim Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. Right now it is March 15th. And from our family to yours, thank you for inviting us into your home each and every week. As uh, you watch this broadcast, as you enter into worship, and we set apart the Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings. And we hear the word of the Lord uh, from the Torah. We thank you for joining with us as a community, as a fellowship of brethren. Even though we're spread across the globe, the Internet has brought us together and so we thank you for joining us each and every week here at line and land ministries a couple of announcements that we have going on right now our uh, event registrations are open for the Feast of Weeks for Shavuot at shavuotevent.com. We have a hotel conference in the in Dallas, Texas this year uh, for the Feast of Weeks, and uh, that is June 7th through the 9th. Uh, we'll be at the Wyndham Dallas Suites Park Central, uh, which is at Coit Road and 635, if you're familiar with the area in Dallas. And we look forward to joining with everybody for that appointed time for the Feast of Weeks, yeah, i If you go to ShavuotEvent.com, you can register your family there. We hope to see all the brethren in the region uh, to join with us for that appointed time. We also have registration for our Feast of Tabernacles is open right now as well. You can go to TabernaclesEvent.com and register your family there as well. We have uh, an amazing time. It's our biggest event of the year where we have over a thousand brethren join us in Chandler, Oklahoma, that we all are camping, and we have so many uh, programs that are available to all members of the family. We have kids programs, youth programs, toddler care, workshops for the adults, dance workshops, and amazing evening programs with worship and teaching as well. We hope everybody can join us for that event. So once again, go to tabernaclesevent.com and register your family so that you can join uh, with this ministry and many other brethren, like-minded brethren, uh, for the appointed times for this year. Once again, thank you for joining us, inviting us into your home. Now, let us set apart the week from the Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family and welcome to our home. Please join us as we welcome in the Sabbath.
2: forever kiss I high hello angel my how O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has
0: sanctified us by your commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen.
3: Amen. And now, <laughs> Bless you. now the blessing over the cup. Baruch <laughs> borei Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the
1: vine. Amen. And now the chamotzi, blessing over
3: the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz We give thanks to God for bread Our voices rise in song together As our joyful prayer is said Baruch at Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Hamotzi lechem min haaretz
1: Amen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Now, husbands, let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wives that you have given to us. We thank you for giving us wives of Proverbs, Lord. Father, I pray that you would pour out a special blessing upon my wife this Sabbath day. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her in all the things that she does here in our household. As she takes care of the children, as she teaches them and educates them, as she takes care of our home. I pray, Lord, that she knows how valuable she is and how her worth is far above jewels. I thank you for the wonderful blessing that she is to me, to our children, to our household. And I pray you pour out a special blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen. And now we will bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Amen. Now we bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and grant you peace, and may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
3: Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Blessed Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michomocha. Michomocha Ba'elima Donai Michomocha Nedarba Chodesh Noratech ilo Lord, there is none else, you are awesome in praise, in wonders, O Lord, who is like you, O Lord. Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch Ata Aru El Henu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Et Derech HaYeshua B'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether,
1: blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the Universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Altogether, The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth... And on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema
3: Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear,
1: O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is
3: Lord. Amen. And now the V'yachavta. We et adonai donna checha becho wafka o konna Shicha, uwchroodecha.ju had as chime zafka, hayom a wave. lacha, verpper dat ban beshicha, bejetecha o vlatakavedech
1: o Altogether. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
0: let yeah. yeah. apart time we cry holy kadosh kadosh Laka. there's none like you father in all the earth how majestic is your name lord we just lift you high in this place and we thank you for everything that you are doing everything that you have done and that you will done lord you you are the author of all things You are making all things new in every season, Father, and we just praise you. Father, we lift our voices to you today. We lift our hearts, our minds to you. To give you praise and to give you glory. (laughs) Tzion Tzit Torah Ulvar Adonai Me Yerushalayim Baruch Shenatan Tora Tora Baruch Shenatan Tora Tora
1: Shabbat Shalom. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, to chapter 1. And as you open the scripture, let me do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch ataruna
3: Eloheinu Melakholam asher bachanu mikol haamin venatananu etorato Baruch ataruna non ten hatora
1: Amen Blessed are you O Lord our God King of the universe who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah blessed are you O Lord giver of the Torah Amen Our Torah portion for this week is entitled Vayikra, which is the first portion in the book of Leviticus. We have now completed two books of the Bible uh, throughout our Torah cycle, Genesis and Exodus, and now we open up Leviticus. Before I get into the Torah portion, let me do a little bit of an overview over this book. This is the book of the Bible. In in our English language, we call it Leviticus, meaning coming from uh, the Greek where it is everything pertaining to the Levites. However, that is an inaccurate title for all of the content that is in this book of the Bible. It almost gives it a negative stigma about it, is that everybody tends to think and believe, and especially those in, of a New Testament, New Covenant faith, tends to believe that everything in this book has to do with the ancient sacrificial system and everything to do with the Levites and the Levitical priesthood. Well, we don't have a tabernacle or a temple anymore. We don't have a priesthood anymore. So you might ask and wonder, it's all like, well, are the, any of these commandments still applicable today? However, anybody who's actually read the book and read the words and the commandments that are in this, only part of the book has to do with the Levitical priesthood. Only some of the commandments that are in this book are directed to where God is speaking to Moses and says, Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, and these are the commandments for the Levitical priests. When more of the book actually is, the Lord called Moses and said, speak to all the children of Israel. That would be everybody, not just the Levitical priests. And so much of this book is directed toward us as the believer, as the follower of the Most High God. All of these commandments are applicable to us today. It begins at the very beginning where it says, And the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock of the herd and of the flock. This is a commandment to all the household of Israel, not just the Levites. Once again, this book has a a stigma about it to where it's like people don't tend to read it or even know what is in it. And I'm speaking mostly to our new covenant brethren. I saw a very funny uh, article once. There's a satirical, Christian satirical news site called the Babylon Bee, and they create articles that are absolutely hilarious, and the headlines usually are funny enough to to warrant a chuckle as well. And I remember seeing one where he said it was a news story of a young man that has now committed to read the Bible for a whole year, but he has now turned his life over and he's committed to read the Bible at least until he gets to the book of Leviticus. And as you read the story, it says... Yeah, he he was really impassioned to read the Bible until he had petered out about Leviticus chapter 2. And he just couldn't read it on anymore because even when you make a commitment to read the word of the Lord, once you get to all of these commandments about animal sacrifice, it just tends to put a sour taste in some people's mouths. It's the same thing has happened, especially in messianic congregations where... We, on a weekly basis, teach the Torah. Many times in most Messianic congregations, we, they follow the Torah cycle, and the main teaching for every single week is in the Torah cycle. So whenever you, you come across friends, you meet them in the grocery store, and you might invite them to your Messianic congregation. You say, hey, come, if you're curious about what we believe here, come and visit our congregation. And so then sometimes they would, they'd kind of maybe delay, wouldn't come with you, but then they'd be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to join you. I want to see what you guys do. And so then, lo and behold, a new friend, a new believer is coming to a messianic congregation for the first time. And wouldn't you know, happenstance always would be that we're in the middle of the book of Leviticus and we're talking about animal sacrifice, and it's, and, and you have this fear about you that when you invite this, this Christian brother, that when they come, they're, they already have this assumption that all we ever talk about is the old law and all of the different sacrifices and the old sacrificial system. And then they, if they come to your congregation, lo and behold, the teacher is standing up there and he's speaking out of the book of Leviticus. You almost have this little bit of a fear in you that's like, man, you actually hope that The Torah portion isn't on the book of Leviticus when your Christian brother might come to see what we teach at a Messianic congregation. All that to be said is this. It is the most misunderstood book, I believe, of all five books of Moses. It's just has this uh, under most of us do not understand what its purpose was, even if we've studied it for many years and we look into the offerings and the sacrifices and all the things we still because we lack a temple and a tabernacle and an altar service. There is a huge misunderstanding of what its purpose truly was. Some of our good brethren here in the messianic movement, my friend Rico Cortez, he's committed his life to instructing the people as to the the importance of these words, of these commandments, of everything pertaining to the priesthood, the temple, the sacrifices, all of those things. Because it's one of the most misunderstood things in all of scripture. And so what I hope to do is I hope to bring out some of those things as we go through the book of Leviticus. We will begin and we will be talking about the various offerings that were brought to the Lord by you'd bring an animal to sacrifice before the Lord, so that you can, it was a form of worshiping the Lord. Yes, we're going to talk about that early in this book. But as we progress through, the thing I want us to always keep in mind about the book of Leviticus is this it is about us, us as believers. The previous book, Exodus, in the Hebrew, is called Shemot, it's the book of names, and that God has revealed Himself. To the world. He revealed himself to the Egyptians. He revealed himself to the children of Israel. That he is a loving God, a compassionate God with great signs and wonders. He brought this people out. He has said who he is. He has created, commanded the people to build a dwelling place for him. This is the place he wants to live. This it, It describes God and the power of God. The previous book does. This book now points the finger at us as believers. Who are we as believers, as the other half of this covenant between mankind and God? Who are we and what are we to do? Because most of, this commandment, of these commandments going in is going to be pointing us as to, how, as to what is holy and what is profane. How we are to be clean and not unclean. There are things in the world that can make us unclean. and Leviticus has prescriptions on how to become clean again after we have become unclean. And how to be holy as the Lord is holy. And it begins here how we are to approach the Lord. Once again, all of these commandments are for us as believers, mature believers here in the world today. It is as applicable today as it ever was because now we're talking about the spiritual temple and how we are to approach the Lord spiritually in our prayer life, in our relationship with Him. If we want to profess that we are in covenant with Him and we have a relationship with Him, then we have to understand how we need to approach Him in the most holy and reverent manner possible. And that is what the book of Leviticus can teach us. Now, getting into the first verse and our, the title of our Torah portion is Vayikra, and he called. It begins, the book itself begins with the conjunction and, which immediately begs the question, and it connects the, this book to what came previous. Now, if you remember the last portion of the book of Exodus, we have the building and the final construction of the tabernacle. Moses finished all of the work and then the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle of meeting glory of the Lord came in and he is now dwelling. His presence is in the tabernacle in the camp. So does that mean now everybody we're ready to come and worship the Lord and go, go visit the Lord at his house? No, in fact, the last couple of verses says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle. Okay, so what? So what is this deal where it's like God wants to wants to dwell with the children of Israel, and then is he supposed to just become a hermit and nobody can go and visit him where he lives? No, there's a proper plan and a procedure to all of this. Well, what is that procedure? What is it that we need before we can approach him and come into his house? I'm glad you asked. That's why we have the book of Leviticus beginning now. And the Lord called Moses and says, if any man of you wants to bring an offering, wants to come into the house of the Lord, this is what you must bring. You don't want to come empty handed. In fact, it's commanded you are to not you you cannot come into the house of the Lord empty handed. Hey, this is the same thing we run into into our own homes, in our own families, that when you invite an honored guest over to your house or you invite somebody and you're going to have dinner. Two families are going to have dinner together. You would, One of the most courteous things that you can ask if you're going to somebody else's house is you ask, what can I bring? And then the person would return back to you and would contact you back and would say, well, uh, hey, how about you bring a, a dessert or a side dish or something? And then even if you, they, they were like, oh, no, dinner, dinner's already taken care of. Well, what you also might do is you would bring maybe some flowers to the, to the family that you're coming into their home. You would come and you would bring something, some sort of gift to that family. That is exactly what the Lord would ask of us. If we're going to go and come into his house, the house was just built, so anybody that, that first couple of offerings that came into the tabernacle, those were like housewarming gifts to the Lord because the, the, the tabernacle was first built, and how sweet was that first offering that was done in the tabernacle God's presence is now here and and, and now the Lord is being, is receiving an offering from the children of Israel that somebody is bringing voluntarily an offering before the Lord i was i can only imagine how sweet that first offering was very interesting when you look into the the wording and the instruction of these of this first couple of verses here in leviticus first thing i want to talk about is this the vayikra the name and he called this is not the first time that we've ever heard this wording vayikra and the lord called And in this case, he's calling Moses and giving him an instruction. This actually goes all the way back to Genesis 1, where it says, when God called, when he created the light and separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night, he said, "Va'yakra," and I called the light day. The first thing that God ever called in all of creation was the light. He called it. He called it by, he gave it a name, he called it day, and this was one of the first things that he ever created, he called it good. And obviously when we're talking about the spiritual significance between light and darkness, light is the good part, darkness is the not so good part. And so the first thing he created was goodness, and he called it, and it was something that, that it was part of his creation, and he has a love for it. Now, later on, we'll have another instance in which God will call something as well. When he was walking in the cool of the day in the garden after Adam had eaten the forbidden fruit, so became ashamed of himself, realized he was naked and he was hiding. And then the Lord was walking through the garden and he called to Adam. Same Hebrew word, Vayikra. The Lord called Adam. He went looking for his creation. For who, where was he going to be? He wanted to meet with his friend. He wanted to enjoy and perhaps bless his creation that he had made. But Adam had sinned. Adam was ashamed. And so when the Lord came and called upon him at that moment in time, then what he found was he found that his creation had sinned. His creation had let him down. And so then this is the, the, the whole understanding of God. This is how God communicates with us. With his creation, he calls us. He calls out to us to see what he will find. This is a theme throughout all of the Torah cycle and throughout all of scripture. And I believe it's something that we need to understand as believers, as mature believers in the Lord. Is that religion, true religion, is always God going to his creation to see and to, to find, what will he find when he goes to call his creation? When God calls a man and raises him up and calls him anointed and anoints him to a specific task, God is the one who makes the call. God is the one that goes to him and says, you are, I'm going to raise you up and you are going to fulfill a purpose and you are going to serve me. That's what God has done throughout all of creation. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Moses. He did it with David. He calls to the people. And he raises them up. And that is what true religion is. Is God finding man. Finding a good man. A man who will serve him. That's true religion. Now that's not what man-made religion is. Man-made religion is our own creative mind to try and come up and to fathom or to conceive who or what God is. Man seeking God is what most people would call religion religion is what men they submit to they join up they form an organization they go to a certain church certain denomination and man is looking for God they're down on their luck and they're struggling it's like man I need religion because I'm looking for the Lord that's not true religion that's a man made religion. That's where we're trying to define God and decide who God is, what sort of things he can do, can't do, what he's fulfilled, and and how we fit into that creation and how he fits into our lives. That is not how a relationship should be, and that is not the kind of relationship God desires from his people. He desires a relationship where when he calls you, we answer. That's what Abraham did said, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. called Adam, Adam, where are you? And he was hiding behind a tree or a bush because he was ashamed. What will God find when he calls you? Will he find somebody who is ashamed of the sins and the things that they have done? And will he find his creation unworthy to fulfill the task that he has called for us to do? Or will he find a man of faith like Abraham? Or will he find somebody like Moses, who is willing to do whatever he had to do as the leader of the children of Israel? When he called Moses, Moses answered. That is what God is always doing. So this title, this idea that the Lord calls us is, is prevalent throughout all of our scripture. And it is the most important thing that we have to understand in our relationship and what true religion is in our worship of God. Vayikra. And he called. Did we answer? Did we bring a sacrifice? Well, that's now what the, what the instruction now comes to us here at the beginning of the book of Leviticus. It says this here in verse 2 where it says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord. Literally in the Hebrew, that's sort of a, that's sort of an abbreviated way to say what is actually in the Hebrew. Literally in the Hebrew, What it says, when any man of you wishes to bring an offering of you to the Lord. There's an extra like uh, emphasis that's put upon the person bringing the offering. And if you read it like that, you're saying, okay, so bringing an offering of you. Interesting. So it's not just about bringing these animals to sacrifice and to slaughter to the Lord. No, it's about us. Like I said, the book of Leviticus is about us. It's not about the animals. It's about us approaching the Lord. Us giving an offering of ourselves. What do we bring to the table? When we enter into the tabernacle of God, into his dwelling place, what will we bring? I've said uh, said before in the offerings that built the tabernacle. It wasn't just the raw materials that people brought. People also brought their skills. They also brought their abilities that the Lord had blessed them and, and filled His Spirit inside of them to to be able to weave and to carve and to and to work and to sculpt and to do all of these things. And that was an acceptable offering that the people brought as well. Came from their heart, came from their inwardmost being. Just as much as any material thing that somebody was stirred in their heart to bring, people brought their skills. They brought the spiritual aspects of themselves in their lives. They brought their talents, the things you can't measure, the things you can't quantify with the with weights and, and measurements. They brought themselves. They gave of themselves their time, their efforts, their energy to serve the Lord. That is truly what God is desiring here when we are, when he's called us and we're to bring an offering. That offering is supposed to represent us. It's supposed to represent our lives. That it's not just about the animal. In fact, we'll, we'll get into it here and we'll start talking about the, the five different types of sacrifices that are prescribed here in the first part of the book of Leviticus. And it says with many of the sacrifices, it says that one person when they were to bring this offering that they were to lay their hands upon the offering. Now, some people, it's well misunderstood that we used to think that every time that, we, that an animal was brought, that we laid our hands, that we were laying our burdens upon the animal, that we were laying our sins upon the animal. That we were taking our sins and we, we are removing them from our shoulders so we don't have to feel the pain and the anguish of, of our sin and the hurt that it may have caused. We don't have to feel that anymore because we're putting it on this animal and then we're taking that animal up for the slaughter and that thing's going to get slayed and those sins are going to just get washed away and burned away and then our, we don't have to worry about our sins anymore. <laughs> that is. That is a, a complete misrepresentation of what it was to bring an offering before the Lord. That's not what it was about at all. Because these first couple of, of sacrifices and offerings that are commanded for us and given instruction have nothing to do with sin whatsoever. Nothing to do with sin You would bring this offering, not because you sinned, not because you needed this burden off your shoulders, put it on this animal so it can go get slaughtered and you didn't have to worry about it anymore. That has nothing to do with some of these offerings. But still, one would lay their hands upon the offering. Why? Because what it was, was it was to create a connection, not only physically, but spiritually as well, as to you being connected to this offering, what was brought So that when the offering was brought, it was an offering of you. It wasn't an offering of a lamb. It wasn't an offering of a goat or turtle doves or any other kind of animal or grain or any other thing that you brought. It wasn't an offering of those things. It was an offering of you. This laying on of hands business creates that connection. In fact, in the New Testament, if you go to 1 Timothy 5, the... um, Paul is speaking to Timothy here and talking about how it's important for us to be very careful with this idea, this laying on of hands business. He says uh, here in uh, 1 Timothy 5 at verse 21, it says this, I charge you before God and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah and the elect angels that you observe the things without uh, these things, without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. Nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. This isn't the only New Testament reference as well, but, but what is being taught here is that there is a very specific connection when one lays their hands upon someone else or something else. There's a connection formed. Not just a physical touching of two things that then if one's unclean, it makes the other thing unclean. But no, it, it creates more of a, a spiritual connection. If anyone's ever had the opportunity to pray for somebody or been a part of a prayer service, and you may have seen it, to where when somebody is in need of a great deal of prayer, we lay the hands of the congregation sometimes on that person. And yeah, we talk about how every person is coming together and we bear our burdens together with that person that is whatever they're going through, whatever sort of prayer request that they need. But sometimes, even through that prayer, that, that there's an energy there that's felt by the person who's receiving that prayer. And, when you, we, I mean, and I don't think we fully understand what that physical connection can mean and can do. That it's, that I believe science hasn't ca- quite caught up to it. But that connection between two living beings can be the vehicle by which somebody is actually healed. Remember the Messiah when he was healing the people. And he would touch them. And he would sense and he could feel the change in the energy because even when he was walking and there was the woman that that came and tried to reach out for his garment and she touched the hem of his garment and he stopped and he said, who touched me? He felt it. He felt the connection. He felt part of himself, the energy of himself go into somebody else. And he sensed it and he knew it. There is a very important aspect to this idea of laying on of hands. We should be very cautious of what we touch, who we touch. That It's like there's a lot more to us than just our physical persons of who we are. Every person is a spiritual being as well. And, this, and, and whoever you come into physical contact with, you should be cautious of what that is. And this goes into and this leads into an entire concept of us needing to remain holy before the Lord because we're going to have a lot of content here in the book of Leviticus about things that we might be able to touch or physically do that causes us to be unclean. This is going to be a theme absolutely throughout the book of Leviticus. We need to be cautious of what we physically come in contact with, especially if we're wanting to remain in covenant with the creator of heaven and earth. The laying out of hands is this very important aspect that I don't think we fully understand. In those prayer ministries, I've even seen the testimonies and heard the testimonies of somebody praying for somebody that they don't even know what was necessarily wrong with them. But the person was so in tune with the prayer spiritually that they placed their hand on someone's shoulder or perhaps uh, on the small of their back or upon an arm. And then later they would come back and they would report that it's all like, "You, you touched me. Your hand went straight to the place where I physically am hurting. Where I have a physical ailment in my body, and sometimes the person doing the prayer didn't even know that. But they spiritually were led to make physical contact with that various area. There's a greater spiritual aspect to this whole idea of making physical contact, and that is absolutely a part of every single one of these offerings and sacrifices that were given. You were to physically make contact with this offering so it was an offering of you and not just some piece of property or not just some animal. The other thing we need to talk about, and I'm going to make this mistake, I've already said it a couple of times, is understanding the true difference between an offering and a sacrifice. See, often we will call all of these instructions, we'll talk about the sacrificial system. That this is where somebody would come and they'd make a sacrifice. They'd take a knife, they'd take this animal, and they would give something that belonged to them. They would cut it and suddenly it, it, well, you didn't have that property anymore and you were making a sacrifice. Now, yes, that's an aspect of it. But again, that has led to the misconception of this entire aspect of worshiping the Lord is more of an offering that one would give freely of themselves. That somebody, you're desiring to give this to the Lord. And it's not about that you don't have it anymore. It's not that you made a sacrifice and suddenly you're, you are without and you're destitute and you had ten lambs and now you have nine. And there's this sadness of sacrifice that you now no longer have something that you did what you once had. That's, a, that's another misconception of, again, what these offerings represented. They were gifts to the Lord. There was a way in which we could come in to worship the Lord and to be in his presence. That's what we were to do. That's what the children of Israel desired to do. That's the connection we're trying to make. And it connects all the way back to the building of God's house. We're making that connection and we're bringing an offering. It's not just, it's not just about God receiving some pound of flesh because somebody has to, uh, has to, you know, give of themselves and they now have to be without. And it's all about the penalty of the law. You've sinned. So now you need to give up something that belongs to you to make it fair again. No, that's, again, all of those sarcastic descriptions of these sacrifices are all inaccurate and they, are not, they don't line up with the commandments that are given here. Those are the words of a cynic. Those are the words of somebody that would want to put this idea of this sacrifice down. Would want to put down the idea of, of, of that this is a way that God has commanded us to worship Him. And if we want to dismiss it, if we want to think that it's not important, then we're going to sell it to the people in a way that makes it sound, you know, terrible and horrible. And it's all like, man, you, all the, the innocent animals that we're killing here and all of these people had to just give up something every time you sinned. And we sinned so much that a person would have a whole flock of, of lambs and then suddenly they wouldn't have any because they sinned so often. And it's like, that is, that's thats ch- just a complete, overblown description of truly what is happening here. People wanted to worship the Lord. They wanted to bring an offering to the Lord. The Hebrew word for offering is korban. And it was a gift. It was a gift that you brought to the Lord. And in the Hebrew there also, whenever somebody brought that offering, the Hebrew word karev means come near. So any time that anybody wanted to come near to the Lord, bring a gift. That's the whole point. This is just the first two verses in the book of Leviticus. And I'm spelling out the whole primer to so that we can learn this understanding of what these offerings were for and what they meant. Now, going into the different, now with that as a primer, going into the different types of offerings, that were brought before the Lord. There's going to be five that we're going to describe here in the first couple of chapters. Our Torah portion extends all the way through um, chapter 5 and into the first couple of verses of chapter 6 in our English Bibles. And it will describe five different types of offerings. The first one described here is called the burnt offering or the olah offering. It was lifted up before the Lord. That's what Ola means, is to, is to lift up. You may have heard the phrase Aliyah, that when, when one declares their citizenship for um, Israel, that they have gone up to the land. They have tra- traveled there and it was, we are lifted up to the Lord, this Ola offering his whole burnt offering there are some very specific procedures and as you read you might see that it's like okay there, there is some some very specific things here it's an offering of the flocks of the sheep or of the goats it's a burnt sacrifice and you shall bring a male without blemish and then we have all these descriptions of what these things could be and, and what happened with them it was completely consumed on the altar before god it was sacrificed and then it was laid on there and the whole part of it was burned up save for one part of it it would skin the skin of it was skinned and that skin went to the priesthood one of the other things about all of these sacrifices is that we got to remember the Levites they were set apart from the children of Israel and some of these things and the work that happened within the tabernacle sustained the Levites It was the means by which that they were able to live. Some of these offerings that were brought could be consumed by the priests. And so this is how some of these men fed themselves and were fed and were taken care of by the offerings of the children of Israel. In the case of these burnt offerings, every burnt offering had its skin removed and then the, the wool or the hide or whatever it was of the animal belonged to the Levites and they could use that, and I, I don't know how much, uh, what they necessarily used that for, uh, but it sustained their family. They never were short on blankets or warm clothing or any of those things because that's what this purpose was was for. One thing also before I go into too deep into these offerings here is that I always want to, as messianic, as a believer in Yeshua the Messiah, I always want to make sure that we connect back to the Messiah. What does all of this mean for us in our belief of the Messiah? See, because if we listen to our uh, New Covenant brethren, many of them have said that Yeshua Jesus's sacrifice on the cross was the ultimate and final sacrifice and it did away with all of these other previous offerings. I wholeheartedly disagree. Because it was this system that is being created here that is that sets the stage and the precedent for us to have a sacrificial system, for to, to have some sort of payment or a way that we can, when we sin or when we want to give to the Lord, we have a way in which we can substitute something for, to the Lord and he receives that in, as payment. That's what Messiah was for us. We've sinned, we deserve death, but God receives the payment of the Messiah his death, his sacrifice as a substitute for us. This sacrificial system proves and gives us the means and the ability and sets the precedent for the sacrifice of the Messiah. I also believe this, and I hope to really prove this out um, maybe as time goes on as I continue to grow and learn more and prove out how the Lord, the Messiah Yeshua, his sacrifice and everything that he did, In the final day or couple of days of his life. Parallel all the different sacrifices and offerings that were done in the altar service. All the different types of offerings that could be given. The Messiah himself embodies nearly every, if not every, offering that was given. At least in some way, at least in some sort of pattern or shadow. And you do know and we're aware of some of these things... When we talk about Yeshua's sacrifice, that he was the Passover lamb. And so when there is an offering that's to be given on the, on the Pesach, his body and his sacrifice and, and through uh, all, everything that he did in the Passion Week and the final day of his life was to fulfill, fill up full of meaning and make perfect what the Passover sacrifice is to mean to us. It also when he was he was weighed out between him and Barabbas between him and two men, and it 's like he was cast out, and lots were cast for him and so there 's a sacrifice with the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, that his life paralleled as well and then we believe where he was sacrificed paralleled the one another sacrifice that'll happen called the red heifer sacrifice, and so his body and the way that he gave of himself parallels and connects to every other type of offering that took place. In the tabernacle. I said all of that to go back now to the burnt offering. This whole idea that he was completely consumed before the Lord. This lamb was completely consumed. Save for what? The outer covering. This connects back to when Messiah, when he raised from the dead, what was left of him? There was nothing left. They opened up the tomb. It's an empty tomb. He was no there. He wasn't there. Except for what? The linen cloth. The garment, that shroud, the outer covering was all that remained of him. I'd like to parallel that to the burnt offering. The only thing that remained of that burnt offering when it was given to the Lord, it was completely consumed up, disappeared. We don't know where it went. But we do have this outer covering that reminds us that an offering was given. That it was received by the Lord. Well, a couple more things about this um, burnt offering. This was a voluntary offering. God said, if anyone wants to bring that, that of his own free will, come to the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and is accepted on behalf to make atonement for this person. <clears throat> A couple of things of what the sages say about this burnt offering. This was something that somebody would give if they were completely unaware, if they had ever done anything or wanting to make sure that they are coming appropriately before the Lord. Again, not specifically associated with sin, that this is not because you know that you sinned or something specific of it. You know specifically of something you did wrong and you're making an offering for that. No, you would come and you pro- approach the Lord and say, I, I wish to give this offering. It was voluntary before the Lord. And so, and one of the things is when it was laid upon the, 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 the pyre, the wood, it was burned. It says here specifically at verse 13 of Leviticus 1 where it says this was a sweet savor or a sweet aroma before the Lord. The Lord loved to receive this offering because he knew that if he was receiving this offering, he was receiving a friend, somebody he was in covenant with coming into his house and he received it. And it was a sweet smell before the Lord. It's the same thing that the sort of smell you walk by a steakhouse or perhaps you go over to somebody's house and somebody's grilling something or you can even get out of your car sometimes and you can smell that somebody's cooking something in your neighborhood. Ah, man, it's like, that smells good. What's it make you want? Immediately makes you want hamburgers or steaks or something. You know, it's like, man, I should fire up my own grill and make something to eat. It's sweet smell before the Lord. It's very pleasant, enjoyable. And that is what this um, tabernacle, whenever anybody approached the tabernacle, this is what the smell that people smelled. It was like an outback steakhouse. And it's like, it was wonderful. It was pleasant. And the Lord desired to have that smell and to receive that. Now, one of the other things that's going to be commanded in association with this burnt offering is that the Lord has asked for this burnt offering to happen on a regular basis, in the morning and in the evening. There is to be a lamb that is brought and is to be sacrificed every day, every morning, every evening. A lamb is to be brought, a burnt offering, and it was to be a perpetual offering that is brought. We'll talk a little bit more about that in next week's portion. But what that was to do so that there was an atonement for the children of Israel At all times, that there was always a sweet savor before the Lord that remembering that we are in fellowship with the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and that we are always in need of a covering, a protection from our sins and the things that make us unclean. There's a connection that we make and we worship the Lord in this way. It was a burnt offering. It was completely consumed. None of it was ever eaten. It was completely voluntary and it was sweet before the Lord. It's what we brought if we were to come and approach the Lord. Chapter 2 of Leviticus goes into another type of offering. It's called the grain offering, sometimes called the meal offering or the meat offering, not meat as in um, some sort of animal product, that, like of uh, animal meat, but that it's like the, the original English represents this offering of some t- other type of food, this grain offering or meal offering that is brought. And it says that it was brought before the Lord, and somebody could give this offering to the Lord. It was called the mincha offering. Some even call it and refer to it as the living sacrifice. This was given without the shedding of blood. You don't have to shed any blood if you want to give of the the fruit of your field or of your orchard. And if you want to give of these things, the things that you have grown, and then you want to bring that as an offering before the Lord. Because you've got to remember, not everybody had herds. Not everybody had animals that they had as their possession. Some people were farmers that, that grew grain and grew crops. And this was something that was also very much acceptable to the Lord. For you to bring this offering. And you could do several things with this grain. It could be baked. It could be cooked on a griddle or a covered pan. Or it could be roasted with fire. And that you could bring these offerings. And whenever somebody brought the offering of their first fruits, it fell into this category of this type of offering. A mincha offering. This is something that when it was brought and it was made to be, it was supposed to be brought without leavening. Leavening spiritually represents sin. We'll talk about that more when we get to the portions to covering Passover, Pesach. And that it represents, and so no leavening was supposed to be mixed with it. And then when it was received, it was then um, anointed with frankincense, and it was always offered with oil. And it was brought before the Lord, and part of it was burned before the Lord. It was a, also another sweet savor before the Lord that it smelled wonderful when this was cooking there on the altar. Also, some of this was able to go to the priests. They were able to consume and eat some of it as well. And so this was, again, the means in which the Levites were sustained when these things were brought. It was a living sacrifice with no shedding of blood. Completely acceptable to the Lord. We've talked about how it's burned, again, as a sweet aroma, and, and all of chapter 2 of Leviticus covers this. Um, a couple other things I want to bring out. It says in verse 13, it says, And every offering of grain offering, you shall season it with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the, of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. This goes to, to, you know, just initially, whenever you're talking about the culinary aspect of food, it's all like everything should be salted as far as for it to be be flavorful, for it to be enjoyed. Food is more enjoyable when it is salted. God himself uh, says the same thing, that all of these offerings were to be brought and should be offered with salt. Once again, any offering that did not have an animal associated with it fell into this category of this mincha offering. Completely acceptable to the Lord. The first time we hear about this offering, again, goes back to the garden in Genesis and talking about Cain and Abel. Where it was Cain who brought a mincha offering, an offering of the field. And it was Abel that brought an offering of an animal before the Lord. And some have said that it's like that, oh, Cain's offering wasn't accepted because it was a different type of offering, that God really wanted meat and the sacrifice of blood and didn't want the fruits of the field, and so that's why Cain's offering wasn't acceptable. Absolutely not. The mincha offering was uh, completely acceptable before the Lord. That's what he brought. The problem was his heart wasn't in the right place. And I guarantee you, in any single one of these sacrifices, you better have your heart in the right place before these offerings were brought. You didn't just do it because you felt obligated to do it. Or, oh man, you know what? Uh, Moses just gave us these commandments. I, I guess I should probably do that for myself as well. <laughs> no. Your heart needs to be in the right place so that you are, understand what is happening here. That you are bringing this offering, an offering of yourself. Your heart had to be in the right place before you even considered the idea of bringing the actual offering. That's something extremely important as we start when we go into the sin offering as well. Before we get to that, we have to do Leviticus chapter 3 where we have the peace offering. Or what is also called sometimes the thanksgiving offering. This was a sacrifice that was to, to be made to the Lord and it was you know, thanksgiving to the Lord. That you brought it before the Lord and th- this is the most joyous of all the offerings. The sages say that some of the reasons why people would bring this offering is because somebody, perhaps they were traveling afar um, off from their home, and perhaps they maybe hit some form of danger, or they, 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 their safety was in question, and then they were able to be brought back home safely and in one piece. And that one of the reasons why somebody would bring a peace offering is because they were at peace and they had to and they wanted to be thankful to the Lord thanksgiving to the Lord that it was, it was exciting that they made it home and they, they were and they, they are, are at peace now, so they want to offer it back to the Lord. This was also the most joyous one because this is the offering that the person could bring voluntarily, bring it before the priest it was offered it was accepted before the Lord, it was a sweet savor before the Lord, and then the person who brought the offering got to eat of it as well. Got to partake of the, of the food, of the actual meal. This is the case in which the, the people, who, the person who brought the offering, got to eat it with the Lord. This is that sort of that, that get-together whenever I uh, bring out that word picture of, of two friends, families coming together and eating what, with one another. This is really what I'm describing. It's like a big Thanksgiving meal. It's like the, it was like a peace offering that was given between two people. We have a relationship with one another. We're at peace. We're happy. We're joyous. And all, everyone gets to partake of the amazing, wonderful thing that is, that is, uh, enjoyed by all parties. And that is what the peace offering was to be. And it also says it's had some variety to the things that it could be. It says that it could have been male or female. It could be of the ox, of the sheep, or of the goats. And again, this is another aspect where somebody would lay their hands upon the sacrifice. This sacrifice absolutely had nothing to do with sin, not even close. But again, we had this laying on of hands. Again, it made that. Spiritual connection that we had between our with our relationship with us and our heavenly Father, and that this offering that was given was something that connected the the covenant and the relationship together. The peace offering covered in Leviticus chapter three. Now we get to Leviticus chapter four. Now we're going to talk about what is called the sin offering, the chata'ah offering. This is when somebody did something; they became aware. Of that they had sinned, that they had made a mistake, and unintentionally they made this mistake. And now they need to make restitution. They need to bring a sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 4 says this, speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, then this, then it goes into the procedures. And there's actually four sections here in Leviticus chapter 4. Four times it says the word unintentionally here. And it gives us four different types of people that would sin unintentionally. And then what type of sacrifice the Lord is requiring of us. See, if we sin unintentionally, this is now a required sacrifice. It's now required that we would give this to the Lord so that we can come back into the presence of God. One of the things, of the, the four different areas is this. Uh, it first talks about if a priest sins before the Lord. A priest. These are the guys that are supposed to be tending to the tabernacle, doing a lot of boundary maintenance surrounding what the, all the aspects of the tabernacle. Everything needs to be holy, right, in order, and proper procedure. If any priest accidentally makes a mistake, they were to bring a type of offering. They're supposed to bring a bull. For a sin offering, and that was to be given and offered because they had sinned. The next section, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 4, talks about if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally. I don't know how this ever got reported necessarily, that it's like I guess it came to knowledge, you know, came to uh, all the people, and it was, was, uh, I guess, national news that it says, hey, the entire nation of Israel has made a mistake. We did something that broke the commandments of the Lord. So the whole congregation of Israel comes together and we have a sacrifice of a bull that we are to offer if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally. If that happens. Then in verse 22 it begins and talks about when a ruler sins. If he has done something unintentional then he has a, something he's to bring. He's to bring a male goat for an offering. And then it also says, it, can, it finishes off, if any of the common people in verse 27, if they sin unintentionally, then they can bring either a female goat or a female lamb, and there is a sin offering for them to bring as well. It designates the specific people when the type of sin t- happens, what type of sin offering was to be brought. And again, this is a, uh, this is re- a required offering. If any of these things happen. One thing I love in my English scripture about this passage is that it says, if a priest sins, it says, if the whole congregation of Israel sins, if one of the common people sins But in our scripture here in verse 22, it says, when a ruler sins and does something unintentional, it's almost like like it immediately spells out for us that those that are in leadership over us, rulers, whether it be kings, queens, politicians, it's almost like it implies that they will always be more susceptible to sin than perhaps maybe the common man of Israel. This makes perfect sense when all of those that Look into the politics of the world, and it's all like, yeah, it's all like every politician is corrupt in some way, form or fashion. They always climb the ladder in some way, and they got to step on somebody to do it. And and some of it perhaps is intentional and malice, and some of it is like it, it's just part of the job of trying to become a leader, a ruler, and doing what is right. And they'll sin on a regular basis. I, I don't think any you'll ever find anybody trying to defend rulers and monarchs. To say, oh, yeah, those guys are always the most wholesome people and never sin. Nobody makes that mistake. So it says here in our scripture, when a ruler sins, bring this type of offering here. And so I I, I love how it makes that distinction. Again, this sacrifice was called the sin offering. Nowhere in the passage here in chapter 4 does it ever say that this is a sweet savor or a sweet, sweet aroma before the Lord. The Lord did not take pleasure in receiving this type of sacrifice. uh, once again another misconception of this idea that it's all like oh the Lord requires all of this bloodshed on his altar and and every sin that comes he wants all these animals to be slaughtered and blood to be spilled and every time somebody sins the Lord got another lamb (laughs) it's not what God wanted or ever intended with his sacrificial system this wasn't just so we can be brutal and that we can always be pointing out the sins of other people and every person that came to bring an offering it's all like well there's another sinner oh that guy's got a lamb uh that's he's must have sinned this kind of way and that person look at that big long line of people bringing an offering before the lord look at all those sinners <laughs> no that's not what the purpose and that's not even what the goal of most of these sacrifices were god did not desire the sin sacrifice he took no pleasure in it, it was not a sweet savor in his nostrils Yet again, though, it was required of us so that we would come back into fellowship with the Lord. Hebrews 10, verse 4 says this, that the blood of bulls and goats never took away any sin. I agree 100%. Once again, another misconception is that these sin sacrifices, these offerings that were brought, that somehow that all of this, that that was the most important aspect of repenting and being forgiven of one's sins. Absolutely not. What is always required and and what the sages say and what the understanding is, it goes back to the heart of the person bringing the offering, that repentance and restoration for any one of these sins had to already be in process and underway before this sacrifice ever was brought. Remember the Messiah spoke about if if you remember that one of your brothers has aught with you or you have aught with one of your brothers that you're to leave your offering at the altar of the Lord and go and make restitution with your brother. That had to happen first. First and foremost, repentance, restoration. You have admitted that you have sinned and you have already begun to make restitution with the person you sinned against. You have already begun and have started doing that before you ever thought about grabbing a goat and giving this offering back to the Lord. That's not what the the sacrifice itself didn't take away the sin. Didn't provide the forgiveness. Didn't, provide, did, didn't ensure that you had repented. No, you had to take care of that first. This offering was so, supposed to be a sign between you and the Lord that forgiveness had been given. That you had been forgiven and you had, that, that the Lord has recognized that restitution has been made. It was confidence for you before you and the Lord. So that you could go back into the presence with the Lord. You can't bring, you couldn't bring another peace offering or a whole burnt offering or a meal offering before the Lord unless you had made restitution for this sin that you had committed. You have no business bringing any of those other offerings that were voluntary until you had fulfilled the requirement of the mistake that you had made. That is what this offering represented. The blood of bulls and goats never took away the sin. Your repentance and your heart is what had caused the sin to become null and to, to no longer be valid. Yet the offering then ensured your relationship with the Lord had been fully restored. That's what the sin offering was for. Anybody going back and talking about how this, this requirement, I'm hoping, hope, I hopefully am cleaning up this mindset that we have of what the sacrifice represented in its relationship to sin. The last offering that we have to cover beginning in verse, or chapter 5 of Leviticus is what is called the trespass offering or the guilt offering. This was also another a type of sin that happened. This was not as much an action that one took as much as it was something that somebody did out of either omission or that they had become unclean and they were unaware of it. It gives the specific um, determinations of a trespass if somebody touched something and became unclean and they were unaware of it when they realized it and he realized that he was guilty, or if someone speaks or swears speaking thoughtlessly with his lips as to do evil, to do good, with it, whatever it is that a man pronounced by oath and then he's unaware of it when he realizes it he's guilty. That's the uh, verses three and four of Exodus cha- or uh, sorry Leviticus chapter five. These are things that when you realized that you had done something that was an offense to somebody else, that when you spoke falsely or when you became unclean and and that you had trespassed against someone, that this was an offering that was to be brought. It's, It's somewhat different than the sin offering. Once again, it was required for the Lord. And the sages say this, that this offering was for the cleansing and the restoration to a state of purity. That it was like that you were unclean, and now to ensure that you are now clean again, this is the type of offering that was to be given. And it was associated with sin. Once again, in this passage, you won't find it anywhere that the Lord ever called it a sweet aroma before Him. He didn't savor, and He didn't enjoy and take pleasure in any trespass offerings that were given. Um, it said, kind of in a comparison between the sin offering and the guilt offering. The sin offering showed that forgiveness had been had been given. The guilt offering showed that res- restoration had been made. Now let's go to uh, Colossians chapter two, at verse thirteen, and it talks about how when we sin before the Lord. That this is where we are, that our sin is described as a trespass. Colossians chapter 2 at verse 13, it says this. And you being dead in your trespass and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespass, having wiped, away, wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Okay, very interesting here. This is a passage in the New Testament that has often been misused. And this idea that the Messiah himself nailed the law to the cross. No, that doesn't mean that he nailed every word and every commandment to the cross, so much so that it now is null and void and we don't have to follow it anymore. That's a complete misunderstanding of what's being talked about here. If you have an understanding of the sacrificial system and what are your trespass represented... It says this, it says, the requirement of the law of our trespass, that's what he has nailed to the cross. Our trespass offering. The requirement that he has paid that he took with him when he was hung on the tree. He took with him our trespasses. And it was that, that is the connection into him, his sacrifice, his crucifixion, that connects to the trespass offering. He, that is why he is the fulfillment of the requirement of the law, not the fulfillment of the law. Once again, this entire sacrificial system made it so that the sacrifice of the Messiah was righteous, pure, and holy, and just as God prescribed it to be. This created the substitutionary system. In when when, every um, offering that was given, again, these are all connected to unintentional sin. Unintentional sin, the law has given us requirements. Immediately, though, that causes us to think and wonder. It's all like, well, not all of us sin in ignorance. Some of us still sin willfully. Some of us intend to do wrong or to do evil. What kind of sacrifice do we have that that covers that? Well, unfortunately, according to the law of Moses, there is no sacrifice that covers that. For anyone that sins intentionally, willfully, defiantly, their punishment is death, according to the law. That is where the Messiah comes in as being the greater sacrifice. That he is a sacrifice that was made, that he took all of our sins upon his shoulders, who bore the burden of all of our sins, our intentional sins, and that he has paid that price. That doesn't replace or remove the need for these types of offerings to be given when other sins take place. No, his sacrifice was a fulfillment and a payment for a sin that the law could not cover. That is, that is why his sacrifice makes the law perfect. That's why it fulfills it, filling up full of meaning, that it fulfills the requirement of the law of death for willful, defiant sin, that that payment has been made as well. It doesn't replace any of these things that previously has been given or any of these previous instructions. Once again, this creates a substitutionary system. A system of restoration. That it says if we if we follow along here toward the end of our Torah portion here the first couple of verses in chapter six um, in our English Bibles here where it says uh, here let me begin reading at verse six and he shall bring his trespass offering before the Lord a ram without blemish from the flock uh, from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest so the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and shall be forgiven for any one of the things that he may have done in which he trespasses this is the 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 fulfillment of this law that this representation of this offering created a system of restoration and a system of substitution without that system the sacrifice of Yeshua the Messiah on the tree is null and void it's without value Then it's just a man who died on a tree by Roman crucifixion was just one of the most brutal ways that someone can be executed. No, God gave us these commandments and these instructions for which an offering can be brought before the Lord so that we can be restored back to him. The Messiah himself throughout his entire, uh, the entire passion and, and and the crucifixion, he was brought to the high priest of the Levitical priesthood. He was brought and he was observed and he was tested by him. And then he was brought to to the priest and he went through the process that any sacrifice was brought, that he was checked out by a priest and he was declared that he was to be killed in the same way that every priest that checked out every sacrifice that was brought into the tabernacle and says, yes, that's a sacrifice to the Lord. That's something that is going to be killed. The Messiah sacrifice is validated By the commandments that come from the books of Moses. Without that sacrificial system in place, the Lamb of God's sacrifice of Yeshua the Messiah could not be validated and could not be righteous and true before the Lord and the creator of heaven and earth. The God of Israel commanded for him to be uh, worshipped in this way. So every offering that was to be brought to him had to be done in the correct and appropriate way. And the Messiah's sacrifice was No different. I hope that I can make this connection here and and, and continue to teach. We're going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks as well. Going into next week's Torah portion, talking about the uh, additional commandments associated with these types of offerings. Once again, I want to remind us and and, um, teach that we would understand that it is an offering of us that we give before the Lord. Remember I said the first thing that God called And he, Vayakra, the first thing that God called was light. It was a part of his creation. It was a good part of his creation that he called light. And then also in our teaching, we went over and we discussed that every sacrifice and offering was to be brought with salt. That salt was to be a part of every single offering as well. What did the Messiah call us in the Sermon on the Mount and in Matthew chapter 5? He's called us and he says, you are the salt of the earth. He also called us the light of the world. The thing that God calls, when he calls us to be, he's calling for offerings to be brought to him. And he's calling for those offerings to be of us, offerings of us that we bring before the Lord. And one of the first things he ever called was light, part of his creation. He called for every offering to be salt, and he ties it all together, the Messiah and his teaching. And he calls us the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let us truly identify as God's creation and that let us identify as living sacrifices before him that we would give of ourselves to the most high God in worship of him. Not just because we sin, not just because we we did something wrong. It's like, oh, uh," you know, it's like now I need to work extra hard for the Lord today because I sinned. No, let us do so in every aspect of our life, in times of goodness, also in times of, of uh, sin and darkness, that in all times we are serving the Lord and we are giving of ourselves to the Lord. Let us be offerings to him and let us be righteous, holy and pure and clean offerings, appropriate to be given to the Lord. That is what the book of, Le- of Leviticus can teach us how to be righteous, how to be holy, how to be uh, clean, so that when we give an offering of ourselves, it is accepted by the Lord. And may everything we do always be a sweet savor and a sweet aroma to the Lord. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on the Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, for the book of Leviticus, Father, as there are so many instructions that are so applicable to us in our personal walks, and our personal relationships with you. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes spiritually to the words on the page, Lord, that we might learn new things here in the commandments, Lord, that we might learn to be acceptable offerings and servants in your kingdom. May we learn to remain clean and not become unclean. Be mindful, Lord, of anything that we come into physical contact with, Lord, that can make us unclean. Father, I pray that you just make us vessels fit for your use in all manners of service to you and to your kingdom. So, Father, I thank you for these words and these instructions. Father, make them come alive this year and every year that we go through these uh, these Torah portions, Lord, and these commandments. Lord, let us never, ever think that they are not applicable for us today just because we don't have a temple or a tabernacle or an altar that is functioning on this earth. May we always look to the spiritual answer to these questions, Lord, inside our own hearts, inside our own tabernacles, Lord, as we worship you in the way that you have asked us to worship you. We love you and bless you and thank you on the Sabbath day for all of your teaching and instruction. We give you all honor and glory and praise in this place and in your son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Now the blessing after the Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the Universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. (laughs)
2: Let <laughs> You and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When
0: the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around saying, show Shabbat, Shalom, everybody sing. Shallow